0: Hey everybody, welcome to No One Told Me, where we believe hindsight is everything. My name is Callie. And if it's your first time here, here's what we try to do. Every single week-ish, we want to gather the stories and the experiences of those just a little bit ahead of us, maybe who have walked through the seasons we're currently in, or who have been in those moments that we find ourselves in now where we're like, okay, someone had to have lived this before. Someone had to have walked through this before. So why can't I find anyone or why didn't anyone tell me that it would feel this way or that I would think this way? Consider this just your own personal mentor. You can just show up here and push play and someone who has been where you are, is going to walk with you. Is going to tell you what they did. It's going to tell you what made it easier and what made it harder. Um, and if you've been here for a little while, either way, we hope that you are better for pushing play. At the end of the day, that is always the goal, that your time was worth it with us. And hey, if it was, can I ask a favor? Could you maybe <laughs> share um, the episodes that you love, the ones that really, you know, stirred your heart or made you think or, like I said, left you better if you want to mention us at um, notm podcast on Instagram or jump over and leave a comment or a review. It is semi ridiculous how helpful that is. But I have to ask. So here I am asking yet again. All right, let's move on. So last week, we talked about making hard decisions. Okay, and a lot of those hard decisions have to do with relationships, or jobs, or sometimes what we're hearing more and more over the past couple years, what church you choose to attend, right? I mean, we keep hearing that word, deconstruction and breaking things down. And whatever arena that we're talking about, there's always this temptation to leave, right? I mean, prolonged discomfort makes us feel cornered into only one option, which is escape. And so we think, gosh, it would just be easier instead of navigating all of this just to leave for a better option. So while this episode is mainly about choosing to stay or go within the job world, much of the underlying principles we talk about can be applied to the question that pops up in lots of arenas. Do I stick around or do I cut ties? I continually find myself in situations with or about people who don't want to miss their shot, right? Like there's this fear of, of missing your calling of, of somehow spending your time doing something that isn't worth it, who desire more, but aren't sure there's a next step where they're at, who struggle to navigate the difference between being faithful right where they are and just flat out being naive. So, how do you practically navigate the tension between a desire to do something you're passionate about but being asked to do something else? I've been beating the drum for those who make the decision to leave that how you leave one chapter will determine how you start the next. And that's 100% true, but there's also a flip side how you stay matters. Okay, if you struggle with the decision to go or stay and come to the conclusion that you're supposed to be right where you are, it means you have to release whatever it was that made you want to leave in the first place. And that's Natalie's story. She moved across states to walk into a dream position, but quickly found that she had to navigate something that was less than dreamlike. That moment led to the launch of a countercultural sentiment which is raised to stay. We're not running for an exit, we are raised to stay. So instead of validating every single reason to go, she pressed in to learn what it means to stay. So here's choosing to stay when leaving would be easier. I'm in
1: Southern Colorado. So it's like, it could get cold, but for the most part, it's just windy and sunny.
0: Okay, so no wonder Colorado's kind of a secret because when I think Colorado, I think freezing cold. I don't want to live with those kind of conditions. So I would never move there. And you moving from Cincinnati to there, I would imagine you had the same. I did. Why are we going somewhere so cold?
1: It feels like Nineveh. I was like, send me to Nineveh. But the thing is, we have 300 sunshine.
0: So. That is very California. I did not know Colorado was so similar to California.
1: When we go to California, it feels like I'm in Colorado. Like I, there's no difference except there's a beach. So,
0: (laughs) but you, you've been in Colorado. What six? Did you say six years?
1: Yeah, years. Yeah.
0: Okay, and you, you launched Raise to Stay last year or 2021, right?
1: I started my first black boxes in November of 2019.
0: Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah.
1: So I was 40. I was going through this like stage in my life where I had been a worship leader and then all of a sudden I wasn't. And we had moved my family from Ohio to Colorado to be for me to be a worship leader. And I just felt so bait and switch by the Lord. Like, okay, like you dangled this carrot in front of me, you know, and I was walking the dog and I just was like, you know what? I think I'm done. I think that 40 years is a good time to, you know, to check out. I've
0: done my best. I'm at 40. I mean, no one could say I didn't try.
1: (laughs) Right. And I had, you know, I was, I'm a pastor's kid. I've been in this my whole life. So I, I knew what to expect. I wasn't like going into ministry blind or anything, but I had also tried not to be in ministry. I mean, I was a kinesiology major in college and I was a teacher for 10 years right out of college. And I thought, you know, I can worship can be my hobby. And then I'll have a job. And at least if I'm working with children and non-Christians, then I can't get mad at people as easily because Christians should know better. You know, Christians should behave. And so if I'm just doing it as a hobby, then I won't get hurt as likely as if I were to be in a full-time ministry. And then at 33... I was teaching at a school and they, the owners or the founders of that school also started a church and they asked me to quit and to come be their full-time worship leaders. And so I went and that's kind of my first job into full-time vocational ministry was that church and being a worship leader. And it was my dream, like coming out here and, and being part of a worship department that was thriving. And it just, I got to do it for a little bit. And then the Lord changed his method is what he did. Yeah, And I just felt like, oh, I don't know who I am if I'm not a worship leader. Like, what mm-hmm. am I? And I heard that day on that sidewalk, the audible phrase raised to say, and the Lord was like, you know, we, you had to come to the end of yourself so I could start. And that's where I started writing the black boxes of just what I was learning in that season of loss and feeling, feeling betrayed. So my first black box was don't give up. The church did not hurt you. A few broken people did. Don't quit. You were raised to stay. And I put it out there and just put it on my per- on my personal page. And a couple people responded. And then I just started doing one a day because I thought, well, if this is helping me, maybe it'll help someone else. And so here we are, you know, almost four years later. And, you know, it, God has done with it what he wanted.
0: Mm. You know, isn't that the most annoying thing in the world when you're like, I'm done. And God's like, no, you're not. I'm like, but, yeah. I, but I am. Like, I, <laughs> like, that's great. You think I'm not, but I think that I am. But what I'm curious about, though, is the moment that it turned for you, right? So 33, you went into ministry, pretty confident, got some years under your belt, then got this opportunity that you're like, this is it. like this is what I've wanted. This is what I've dreamed about. And then you get there and it's not what you thought. What was that moment? Describe a little bit of like, finding out what you thought you were going to be doing, you weren't going to be doing. And how did you turn that ship? How did you reconcile? Okay, I have to let this go.
1: It's interesting, because my husband and I both knew we needed to come to Colorado, which was a huge jump, because We were both from Cincinnati and Kentucky. Our families were there. We had nobody here. So the easy thing to have done would have been, and nobody would have blamed us, would have been, actually, this is not what we thought. We're just going to go back to what we know and to where I could lead worship on a street corner for the rest of my life every single night if I want to and do what I want to do. Like, and that's kind of where I started to feel that tug of conviction of, oh, I'm mad because I'm not getting to do what I want to do. And I always tell people, you know, our first choice isn't God's best all the time. Mm-hmm. So we have an idea in our head of, what well, this is my talent. This is what I do. This is how I communicate the gospel. Like when we say yes to ministry and yes to Jesus, we don't necessarily get to dictate where we put our yes. Sometimes he requires something different of us. And that's scary because it's not familiar. And that's why I found myself on this, in this moment of having a temper tantrum, kind of like when my kids want vanilla ice cream and all I have is chocolate and they don't want the vanilla, even though the vanilla is still going to be good. It's just not their first choice. And Hmm. I felt like the Lord said to me, like, are you okay with the fact that I haven't changed my mind about you but I do need to change my method and how I use you because we need to do something different. I actually have something for you that has nothing to do with worship. It has nothing to do with any of those things, this platform, this position. And when he gave me raise to stay, the mandate was I created you for the rest of your life to tell people they can't quit, but you had to want to quit to actually be able to speak to it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it's just that moment of like disappointment, like being able to, to name the disappointment. I'm disappointed that I'm not getting to do the thing that I thought I was going to do. I think naming anger and frustration and saying, why me? Why can't I just be like all the rest of the people who get to do what they want to do? And then I also think like just naming the uncertainty of, I don't know how to start my own ministry. I don't know how to build a social media platform. I mean, There were so many unknowns. And so that was kind of the next couple of years was just being honest before the Lord about my anger, my frustration, kind of saying, pick me kind of like Paul, like, if you want to take this thorn from my flesh, that'd be great, Mm -hmm. you know, and raised to stay started as a thorn in my flesh, really.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, I have so many conversations about calling and purpose and all of these things, you know, those churchy words that we toss on what we're going to do with our lives. How do you know when to let something go?
1: The, the truth is the minute that our position is threatened or we feel like we're not going to get to do what we want to do, we get on Google and we we job search, right? Mm-hmm. And we try to look for the ideal thing that's going to make us happy. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is I was doing that myself. Like, okay, well, if I don't get to lead worship here, I'm going to go find somewhere where I can lead worship, was that I actually did believe in the mission and vision of our church. And I did trust our leadership and my kids are thriving and my husband is thriving. And I look around and what I realized is that everything else was doing great, except for me in this one area, I was having a hard time really just laying down that identity piece. And so when I looked at all of the other elements, I could see God working clearly in my kids and my spouse and my marriage and so we knew it wasn't time to go. My husband actually looked at me and he said, Natalie, do you trust that the same leadership who brought us here and that the same God who told us to come here, that that leadership hears that same God that we hear. And I said, I do trust that. And then he said, then we can't go. Hmm. It's not time yet. And so that really was kind of like for us, the anchoring moment of can we, are we still called to this house? Now, I think, and I did a podcast earlier today and a friend of mine said it beautifully. When we start to feel this restlessness and this kind of like frustration with leadership, even though nothing on their end has changed, even though they're still preaching the same way, everybody's still behaving and acting the same way. But you start to feel that frustration. That is when it's usually time to kind of have that conversation of, is it time for me to go? Because now I'm causing frustration in areas where everybody else is the same, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So and it's not a bad thing. I think a mentor of mine calls it the burr in the saddle. When It's like when we're on a horse and a burr is lodged under the saddle, the horse will actually kind of start dancing to let you know that they're uncomfortable. But if you don't remove that burr, eventually the horse goes numb and it becomes an abscess and an infection. And that horse ultimately has to be put down because they got this infection. It's good to recognize when we're restless mm-hmm. and when we like we're in position because it makes us have these hard conversations with our spouse of, is it time to go? Mm -hmm. I tell our community all the time, there's a difference between leaving and going. And the Great Commission is a mandate to go and to make disciples. And so there will be times God will ask us to go and how we go is really important. And that's why it's important to be able to know the difference between I'm just mad. I'm going to take my toys and go home or God is truly calling us out.
0: There's so much there that I want to circle back to because you, and that's probably why raised to stay is what it is now is because you're speaking to an entire generation right now. It's like our parents weren't just raised to stay. They were like cemented in. They're like, we're not, it's not even a choice for us. We're not going anywhere. But I feel like this, you know, 25 to 45 crowd struggles with it. But what if, What if I'm getting it wrong? What if this restlessness means I need to go? Wait, what if I'm supposed to be faithful? What does obedience look like? There's something about if you stay when you're clearly being called to go, not asked to go, but called to go. There's damage to be done in that. Like, not, not just to yourself, but to the organization as a whole. I had a conversation just the other day. If you can't be there and have joy in it and speak about it with joy, and, and support and encouragement, like if the only thing you can do when you're there is be negative, then that's not just helping yourself, you're hurting the organization itself.
1: Yeah, we become divisive, we become toxic ourselves. And and even if there is toxic leadership happening at a higher level, we don't we don't have the capacity to change what's happening in most of our roles we don't have access to change in that regard and so it is kind of like that scripture just take you know kick the dust off your feet and go because you don't want to sin an offense and, and when we're offended it offense causes us to sin mm. which is why the offender and the one picking up the offense is both in sin and because offense ends up causing us to sin we gossip we backbite, we cause division. And that's why you're right. Like, we have to pay attention to when we become the problem, mm-hmm. which is why I, I use that Taylor Swift sound a lot. <laughs> I, I'm the problem, it's me. Because I think that part of our healing is acknowledging that we can be the problem sometimes. And we can stay somewhere too long. And a friend of mine uses the analogy of a wave. You can ride a wave for a really good amount of time. And you know, be up on that wave and really see everything you want to see. You're kind of the, the wave is under you. But if you don't get off that wave at a certain time, you're going to crash right into that, the rock. And you have to know when your swell is. You have mm-hmm. to know, then know it. And it's not giving up. Like just because the Lord asks you to leave or go doesn't mean you're quitting. Mm-hmm. It's just a new season.
0: Uh, it's that question that I keep circling back to is, What does your fruit look like? Like if you don't know, you know, if you should stay or go, or you don't know if you should be a part of something or not a part of something. And this is with anything. What does your fruit look like at the end of the day, when you inspect your fruit, what does it look like? And even that question that your husband asked, do you trust leadership? I think it almost always boils down to that. Cause if you trust leadership for the longest time, I just said, put your head down and work really hard. If you want something else become an expert at what you're already doing and if you trust your leadership they are going to position you to do what you're most gifted to do the problem is if you don't trust your leadership then you're never gonna you one you're probably not going to work hard but two you're never going to believe that you're going to get to do what you think it is you should be doing and that's where the the, um almost like the entitlement slash the like reality kind of clashes I think and so off of that the question that I've actually been asked Several tra- several times, if if you trust the leadership but and you love where you're at, but you're not doing what you feel called to do, how do you keep going? So it's the exact scenario you found yourself in.
1: They asked me to take women's ministry, and I remember looking at them and being like, I don't even like women. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's not in a bad way. Like, but why would I inherit? Of I'm now, so you know?
0: with you. I used to always say, "I'm not going to pigeon my ma- pigeonhole myself into women's ministry. I'm not going to do it." And almost everything I do now is related yeah. to women's ministry.
1: And, and you know, I think that this is a, a lesson for the church in general that we can't silo women who are strong leaders into women's ministry and kids ministry. Like that's not fair. Because not every woman is called to women's ministry or to children's ministry, but I do think there's something to be said to submitting ourselves to a house where we're committed, Mm -hmm. and if we trust leadership and it's healthy and it's um, it's for us, and they see something, and as my pastor would always say, Natalie, I just see something in you that you can't see in yourself. You have a teaching gift, you have a writing gift, and I'm over here holding on to worship, like Mm -hmm. you know, like but no, that's not what I do. And at the time, the only really opening to hone that skill was in women's ministry. Mm -hmm. And so I had to go into it like, okay, God, if you're going to give it to me, you're going to show me how to do it. And of course, you know, what I ended up doing was just basically completely reframing women's ministry. I went in and said, okay, if I'm going to go into women's ministry, what do I want it to look like? And for three years, we've been rebuilding it. And I truly do love our women. Mm -hmm. There's nothing i don't love but it did take daily surrender of my wants and god's hope for me
0: do you feel like you've released worship ministry
1: i know that when i lead worship that god uses me in a different way but he also uses me when i teach and when i preach and when i lead small groups and so it's not better worship isn't better it's my preference mm-hmm. and, you know part of laying down our flesh and dying to ourselves is laying down our preferences and, and allowing God to use us in ways that we didn't know we could be used. And honestly, when I finally truly let go of it, like not just like, I kind of want to do it, but I really let go of it is when Raised the state took off is mm-hmm. when I was really able to release my selfish ambition. And the Lord knows like, I'm, I'm leaving to go to South Carolina tomorrow to lead worship somewhere. Like I get to do it still. And I think that those are little God winks to me when he allows me to do that. Mm-hmm. Or I'll be speaking, the band will come up and I'll sing with the team when I'm traveling. Um, there's ways God gives me little gifts and that, but it was really when I surrendered it that I felt like Raised to Stay took off on its own it was because I wasn't holding on to the past.
0: Mm. You know, with Raised to Stay taking off, I think right before I hit record, you mentioned that you're now part time at the local church that you serve at because Raised to Stay has taken off. Was there ever any, I don't want to say tension, because that has negative connotations, but was there difficulty in like, hey, I'm I'm writing this. This is doing well. It's connecting with people. It's actually like a front door to inviting people back into the local church. Because I have a friend, she says it all the time, like the local church is plan A. You can have a platform. You can be an influencer. You can do all those things. But as far as like the spreading of the gospel, The local church is plan A. And so using the influence that you have to bring people back to the local church, was there ever any like, you know, you're serving full time at a local church, but you're also bringing up all the questions people have about the local church. Was there anything kind of sticky there for you?
1: I think for me personally, I'm always aware of how what I do outside of the church affects the inside of the church. Because I've seen it growing up. I mean, being a pastor's kid, I saw people take advantage of being in a church staff. I saw what happens when ministries were built within ministries that weren't authorized. It can look like you're going rogue, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think because the church watched me walk out— leadership watched me walk this thing out. And I was very, just as I'm transparent in the black boxes, I was very transparent with them. Like I'm struggling with this. This is hard. I don't understand because they saw me walk that out. I think they trusted my journey enough that when the black boxes began to to gather some traction, they were able to celebrate it and also kind of watch from a distance. Like we think this is going to be more. So when the, the hard conversations came there was trust and relational equity mm-hmm. to have that conversation i also think as women we're nuances in the church as well in that i'm we're not just employees we're not just pastors we're not just entrepreneurs we're moms and we're mom whether we're in that church building or we're at home our kids are our first ministry so i also believe that when you have really healthy male leadership in a church they're able to identify when one of their women isn't saying they want to quit but that they just need to recalibrate and when a church gives women freedom man there is something so honoring about that i say time, women are actually really easy to celebrate We don't require corner offices or like big platforms or titles, but if you give us mutual respect, we will work so hard for you. So
0: true. I mean, I remember having a conversation and I said, none of this is about platform or title. It's just, do you see me? That's the question that's being asked. Like, do you see me? And there's this narrative anytime a woman leaves a job ever, not even just in ministry, but specifically in the South, which being from Cincinnati, you'll know what this feels like. Is oh they want to be home they want to be homemakers and you can be a great mom and a great wife and you can still work like you can you don't have to pick you can do both I'm not picking one right now like I'm still I'm made to work I love it I'm still gonna be working but it's so easy to slip into that narrative why do you think that's so easy to do and because I mean you're a mom of two right and you work full time and you're obviously a wife and a and a friend and all of the things but somehow we get uh, like boxed in and it's like, Oh, you just, you just want to be home with your kids. If I hear one more time, <laughs> your kids will never, or you'll never regret being home with your kids. Like the guilt of that statement, because <laughs> I'm like, okay, am I ruining them because I'm not at home with them right now?
1: <laughs> no, because they're in, in teaching me, they're almost 14 and 10. And they're teaching me that. God is, fully aware of who our kids are when he gives them to us. And I was in the car with my oldest and she's beyond her years. Let me tell you like beyond her years. And she's like the, one of the best she's just, she's so grounded and she's in the front seat. And I said to her, I said, honey, how would you feel if mommy wasn't a pastor anymore at church? How would that make you feel? Because I knew when my dad stopped pastoring, that that was a massive identity crisis for me, which is probably why I care about identity so much now. And she looked at me and she's like, Mom, my friends and I, we don't like, like, love you because you're a pastor. We love you because you're a good mom. Like, if God tells you to do something different, like, he's going to prepare your heart and he'll prepare ours, too. And I'm like, well,
0: okay. Here's race to stay. You can run it now because you get it. Yeah, right?
1: Thank you junior CEO. But I think what your your question, the answer to that is why is that the first go-to is because it's the only thing they know to say that makes sense or justifies why a woman might not want to be on staff anymore. And the truth is it's not always that. It's a lot of times because a woman wants more opportunity. A woman wants to step into her calling a woman wants to build something And they know that in their current place, they're probably not going to have freedom to do that. And so they need some extra hours to begin to build what God is asking them to build. And they would feel guilty doing it on church time, Mm -hmm. right? That would be something that a woman of integrity would say, I don't want to build a business on church hours. So therefore I would like to go part-time so I can still be ingrained in the local church but also do this other thing God's called me to do. So I just think because men aren't inviting women into those boardrooms or into those offices and actually asking, how can we better serve you? How can we better understand you? What is your heart's desire? Because they're not asking, they just default. Well, they just want to be home or they just want to go, whatever that, whatever their answer is. And that's why, we have to start being doing a better job at communicating as brothers and sisters in the church.
0: Mm. There's two things. One, I think you did a black box now that I think about it, about being a mom and working and the amount of people I sent that to because I was like, <laughs> this is it. Like, this is how I can explain it because it's almost exactly what you said. Like, God did not give us the children that we have thinking oh they'll never work again he did it mm-hmm. knowing our gifting and our calling and what he's asked of us and still gave us the children that can run yep. right beside us so
1: yeah my my house is a hot mess we we my kids sleep in a different bed every night we don't really have screen limits mm-hmm. i know what they're I'm not like crazy. I have I have blocks on things. There's somebody different picking up my elementary kid like every day. It's like, a they, circus.
0: Know, it's a merry-go-round of people. Like, hey, here's a woman that walks my neighborhood a lot that seems <laughs> trustworthy. Will you go get my kid from school real quick and like bring him back? Because I, I can't leave right now. I'm on a call. You know? It, it, I remember telling my husband, I was like, hey, here's the thing. You can have dinner on the table. You can have clean clothes to wear tomorrow, or you can have a clean house. Like, you get to pick one, maybe two out of the three, because you're not getting all three. <laughs> I right? get all three.
1: <laughs> and, you know, our, our families, they understand that that's our rhythms. And, My parents live with us. So then you add that into the the mix. And grandma and grandpa now are like a permanent fixture in our family. Like we're a family of six. And that's weird to some people, but it works for us. And we're teaching our kids that God is a God of adventure. We're teaching them that... When God asks us to do hard things, that there is always fun in the midst of the difficulty, and that we are together, we're a unit. And when we make decisions, we make decisions as a unit. And they know they're trusted. They know that what we do is unique. You know, it's like just our life.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the the women that are feeling like they're just hitting their heads up against a ceiling, right? And we have that concept. Okay, but stay like. Be faithful. It's almost like what you, you heard of like, I raised you to stay, I raised you to still be faithful. Any advice or maybe red flags to look for or conversation starters, if they're like, hey, I don't want to be presumptuous or be entitled. But I also kind of want to know is, are there growth points for me? Like, can I keep growing here without sounding like I deserve anything, you know?
1: It's true because women have a tendency to kind of be pegged as, well, they just want more power or more control. And I think if you are in a church where you have a pastor's wife who's very involved and very influential and has a voice, that is the first stop is to go to your pastor's wife and say, hey, this is what God's put in me you know, I see you getting to do some really great things in our church. I would love to start learning how to teach. Can I, can I do a small group? I think you have to start asking the right questions to the right people because going to the senior pastor or trying to get into a boardroom is probably not the Esther moment we're all waiting for. I think we have to really choose timing and, and power under control to know who the people are who can actually answer that question and know our hearts. Mm -hmm. If you don't have anybody in your church that you can have that conversation with, that's the first red flag. If there are no women that are being represented in the house, the likelihood of you being the Esther in that room is actually pretty low. Now, that doesn't mean that God won't use you, but you really have to look around and like read the room. Mm -hmm. And if there are Women ever being given any type of authority, title, opportunity, then it may not be a good place for you. And that's okay. That doesn't make them bad. It doesn't make you better. It just means that it might be time to find a church that really celebrates women. I would say that our women do a lot of behind-the-scene pastoring. They do a lot of small group leading. But every woman is celebrated. And just like me coming in with this raised-to-stay thing out of nowhere, I wasn't silenced. Mm-hmm. I simply kind of given these options of like, how can we help honor what God's doing in you? And that's rare. Mm -hmm. I realize that's rare, but the red flags are no women anywhere. That's a red flag. Mm
0: -hmm. It's, and I mean, I do want to ask too off of that. um, If you think about, going and having these conversations, I love that you said, you don't just roll straight up on the senior pastor, right? You're not just like, hey, I'm calling a meeting with you. Let me tell you what what I think should be happening around here, right? And a lot of times, I do think there is value, especially if you trust and have great leadership, like they will see you working hard, like they will see your gifting and what you're capable of, and they will celebrate that in you. But if you really struggle to to have those conversations? Because I mean, it's it goes to trust and leadership and leadership trusting you. How do you have the conversation? I think we're afraid to ask or we're trained not to ask for yeah. anything. Well, and
1: I think scripture says we have not because we ask not, you know, but you know, okay, so raise this day. I didn't ask permission to do raise this day. I didn't like have a board meeting with everybody and say, do you see this in me? Do you think I'm capable? I just started writing black boxes. And I think that Before we start having the conversations, we have to start modeling what God is asking us to do. And if you know you're called to start a small group, we'll start it in your house. And if it blows up to 30 people and you can no longer be contained in your living room, then it's a phone call. I started this group. We're at 30 people now. Is there a way we could do it at the church and maybe host it in one of the rooms? And then suddenly what you've been working on and praying through and and building now has some teeth. It has Mm -hmm. some meat behind it that shows that there is a thing happening. Mm -hmm. And I think my social media was 1,200 people a year ago, right? It it was still this blip on a radar of me just showing up and writing black boxes, and some people could have been like, "Oh, that's cute. Look at little Natalie over there writing her black boxes," you know. And and maybe that's how it was perceived for a while. Of like, "Oh, you know, she's got her little twelve hundred people." I think the game changed when I hit eighty thousand. I think when I started, when they when there was exponential growth, now it's oh, this is an influential voice that's beyond our church walls, mm-hmm. actually, our city, our state, our country. So I just think obedient. The Lord does so much with obedience and trust me when I went to them and said, I think that this is probably not going to be good for me to keep doing 50 hours a week and taking care of my family and running a ministry. I was 100% prepared for them to say, then we just need to part ways Mm -hmm. because that's been my experience in the past. But I really feel like when the Lord does it, he doesn't do anything halfway. And so It may come to a point where their reaction to what God has asked us to do confirms what we're supposed to do and that, okay, then maybe this isn't the house that's supposed to protect me or the house that's supposed to, you know, shelter this. And I think it takes a lot of spiritual maturity on all of our parts. Those of us who have the dream and those who are running the organization to discern the season, mm-hmm. and sometimes we're not on the same page, and I think we have to be prepared when we go into those meetings to be told this is where the road ends. Yeah, and it's devastating, yes. But do we trust that God is good and that those people aren't bad? We have to
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for our own. Have to. <laughs> Why do you think it is like one of the things I loved about this collective that we'll do off the podcast is some of the especially 20 somethings who will come to me and say, Hey, I don't feel 100% comfortable walking into a big church right now, or on a Sunday morning, but like this, I can show because it was like coffee houses, like local places. And they were like, but this I can come to like this, I'm comfortable with. Why do you think it is that there's just this rise and people walking away from the church, whether it's staff or attendees, you know, like you just, you, you just see a little bit of a pattern.
1: I think it's a couple of things. I think one, our parents, so the baby boomers, traditionalist church was such a forced thing for a lot of people. It was, you have to go every Sunday night, every Sunday morning, Wednesday night. And what we saw was a bunch of hypocrites for a lot of less of, for a lack of a better word. And our generation was kind of like, wait a second, you're telling me not to have sex until I'm married. You're telling me I can't drink alcohol. You're telling me I can't wear two pieces that I'm making men stumble. There was like all these rules regarding this, this God that was like, well, then what's, what's the point of this? You know? Mm -hmm. So I think there was a little bit of rebellion on our end when we finally got out of the house. It was like, wait, we have a choice. Like, I don't. I can wear a two piece. I can drink out. I mean, it was just like all of the things. And so I think we kind of threw the baby out with the bath water a little bit. And that now we're raising our kids to be like, you can find God anywhere. And you don't have to like, you know, we kind of went extreme, but then I think COVID hit and then it was even worse. It became, we can watch online. And, but I will tell you this, and this might not sit well with some people and I'm okay with it. I think this generation has a problem with accountability and they don't want to be told that they're wrong. They don't want to be corrected and they don't want to be in anything that's going to tell them that their choices are not right. So mm-hmm. that's number one. Number two, I also think we have found this, my truth thing to be a, a gospel that I can have this relationship with God. That is not even biblical, but that it's something that I've made up in my own theology and the people of God, the, the church is no longer a needed part of the equation. And so I think we have people who are burned out on organized religion. And then I, have, I think other people who are just kind of like, I don't care. And that's a dangerous place to be. Mm-hmm. It is deconstruction in its whole is not bad if we have the infrastructure to rebuild. And unfortunately, I think because this generation hasn't really been raised up with mentors and disciples, those infrastructures are not in place. So we deconstruct and then all we are left with is a pile of rubble versus some of us who have been able to detangle from some of these things and kind of come out like with a really accurate view of a good God. Mm I think it's a combination of COVID did not help this deconstruction movement. I think politically there's been a ton of disruption with associating Christians with bad politics, but those are all excuses because at the end of the day, Nobody wants to come into contact or in, or encounter a living God who is not living a holy life. And church makes us walk into a room and be in the presence of a living God who convicts, who loves, who judges, who gives grace. And we know that if we walk into the presence of God, we are going to have our behaviors confronted. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why this generation does not walk through the church doors anymore.
0: That's so accurate. And so, I mean, you can see that just in one scroll through social media and stuff that gets attacked. And you're like, well, I don't know that that needs to be attacked. Like that's worth attacking right now. But you're feeling defensive because of conviction. And <laughs> I've never thought about it that way of that just is like, well, if this is how I'm going to feel. They don't it's like they don't know how to navigate and I, I can be this way navigate shame you know, you're not supposed to live in it. You don't stay in right. it. Like there's another, there's another road to take here, but you have to address it. Like you have to see it first.
1: Right. And I'm the kind of person when I'm in the presence of God, I weep. I'm a crier. Like when the Holy Spirit hits me, I am like undone. Mm-hmm. And do I really love showing up in a public place <laughs> and weeping with black mascara down my face? No. But, in, but when it's over, I, so glad I was there. And I'm so glad that I was in his presence. And yes, I can encounter him on a hike. And yes, I can encounter him in my room. But to be surrounded by other believers, and to know that I can be prayed for, and I can pray for other people. And I can lock eyes with people who are walking a similar journey as me, like there is nothing like the family of God. And yet, mm-hmm. the enemy has us all convinced that we can just figure it out on our own. Mm-hmm.
0: And then we wonder why we feel so anxious and isolated. And alone, and why we have these no one told me moments. If you if you look back on your life over the last, like, let's say, you know, 1015 years, do you have moments that you can remember where you were thinking, how did no one tell me this would happen? Why did no one talk about it?
1: In some ways, I, I think because the church is such a man driven culture, they think that they're doing a favor by making one seat at a table for a woman like we we're going to have the one voice, in the room or on the worship team, we're going to have the one woman. And I think what that does is it creates a culture of competition but versus collaboration. And so I think we have this David Saul thing, kind of, you know, that verse says that Saul was jealous because the women were singing, here comes, you know, Saul with his thousand and here comes David with his 10,000. Yeah. Like He was on the number that he couldn't see that there was a celebration that the enemy had been defeated. And so I think when we're not careful, we can become a Saul. When we become jealous of someone else's favor or someone else's position, rather than being content with what God has given us. And so that has been something that I did not see coming. You know,
0: I had a a conversation with a 20 something, probably two weeks ago. And she said, you know, I just keep getting pulled into these conversations that's just like battering rams against people and I can see what they're saying and so I find myself like agreeing with them but then I have to go work with this person and act completely different and I said my thing is is you have to shut down the conversation like as much as you feel it too and you think there's some sort of camaraderie happening because you're talking about it together and you're feeding it what's happening is one you're abusing the trust of the person they're talking about and two, when you go and work with that person and like are like happy-go-lucky and, you know, whatever is happening with that other person, the team you were just talking trash with, they don't trust you anymore either. Like this is a lose-lose for you in this in this circumstance. And so it is being able to, to identify, I think it goes back to that fruit question, like what kind of fruit am I going to have after this conversation? <laughs> am I going to yeah. look back and be happy that I had this? But it is hard in those cultures where... You become best friends with who you work with. And so then you start talking about everything. But then it's a conversation that you probably shouldn't be having because it's not bettering or edifying anything.
1: And this conversation to be comforting, first of all, that you're not the only person to walk into a staff and be able to look around the room and be like, wow, that person's not really kind. That person is a little bit competitive. You know, there's, we all have fallen characteristics about ourselves that make us difficult to work with and for, and we all, like I say, we all have a tendency to be somebody else's soul. We're not going to be perfect. But I think what this is a reminder to us is to, it is so important to pray and fast and to discern if it's the right place for you. And if we're just looking for a warm bed and a good meal and a platform, then our our fuse is short. Mm. Then we do, the grace does lift sooner and we find ourselves in that combative place of like self-preservation versus resting in the other fruits of the spirit. And so that is why I say don't take a position if you're at all Worried about the culture, the the leadership, the people you're going to work with, because that is going to become your day in and day out. Mm-hmm.
0: Don't you think so much of that comes out of like self awareness, like growing your oh, own yeah. personal self awareness of like what part do I play in this? Yeah. What what part do they play in this? You know, instead of just the constant, oh no, the problem's everywhere else but me. It's that self awareness of I maybe played a little bit of part in this, or.
1: I mean, I've had to apologize to people from 20 years ago. Like, please forgive me that 20 year old who just thought I had all the answers. And you know, we do. I do see that a little bit in this generation. I guess we're in Gen Z. You know, in that area right now, they are a little hot to trot. They do feel like as they have all of this information at their fingertips that they have this like unbreakable opinion and that they are deserved a book deal and that they are deserved a platform and a large following. And I think teaching them that entitlement is gross and that you're going to walk in and not everybody's going to think that you just are, you know, sunshine and roses and you're not going to always get your way. I think that's part of how we train them up for what they're stepping into, because I think they're walking in thinking everybody's just going to roll out the red carpet for them.
0: I I truly think the thing that I've said the most the past four to six months in one-on-ones with others is be a student of where you are, become an expert at what you've already been given, get really, really good at that. Instead of thinking, oh, I should have that instead, or I should already be moving to this place or doing this, like be a student of where you currently are, because that's the only way you're going to know what you need to know to get where you want to be. It's just-
1: Christians are really bad about like telling people where they should be like, Oh, I'm surprised by this point. You're not leading this, or I'm surprised at this level. You're not. Doing that. And that's actually really toxic language for us to speak to each other because we don't get to decide how God uses us. We just are the vessels. And for us to be telling people that they should be doing things, it just puts an unnecessary anxious, you know, anxiety and anxious heart and pressure in the <laughs> pressure to get there versus you're saying be a student of where you are
0: like just get really good at it okay yeah. speaking of things you get really good at or things you really love we end every episode with one question it's the same question every time what's one thing that you are so happy that someone did tell you about
1: okay well I I do have one my my mom got me the brookstone body roller massage chair that you lay it's a pad that you lay in your chair mm-hmm. and it has and And it has a massager. And I can sit and do my quiet time while I'm getting a massage. Get a
0: massage. So
1: when you pass those by in the store, you think, oh, that's interesting. I want you to know it works and it's glorious.
0: And it's wonderful. It's kind of like, you know, when you go get a pedicure at the nail place and they put you in that massage chair and it's like violently shaking you and you're trying to like be still, but you're also like, you're like, is this supposed to feel good? I feel like violated right now. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> i'm telling you i am a sucker for the infomercials so if you ever need to know if, if the if the knife works i chopped my finger off with one last year so yes they work. so it does it
0: is effective it will cut what you need it to cut hey you've got a book coming out you've got a lot coming up and happening right now <laughs> yeah. tell kind of everybody book releases in july of this year right
1: july 4th me in america <gasps> coming at you
0: Man, um, <laughs> America, wave that flag!
1: Listen, nobody releases books on the Fourth of July, so I was like, "I'll do it." I'll be the um, only one being like released. For, I know we, we're in pre-orders right now, so July Fourth is the actual day it'll be on your porch. But there are a ton of great free freebies. Will be a free audiobook, a couple of free chapters. This is a book that I believe God is already using. We're number one in a few categories on Amazon. So if people want to pre-order, it would be a huge help. But otherwise, we'll be live on july
0: 4th and at raised to stay on instagram i mean it is there are good little nuggets my friends i'm just telling you natalie this was great i want you to like live in my pocket just so i can ask you questions all day long (laughs) and just say what do you think about this huh what do you think i should do this it's just truly this was so much fun thank you so much for jumping on race to stay go over to everybody just when this ends go on over to amazon it's worth it it'll be great